This is a one and all media podcast. What we find in the scripture is that Paul is doing something that had never been done in any previous culture. He is bringing an equality to marriage and singleness. To where he's saying one is not better than the other. In fact, each has its own glory. So if you want to be married, good, you're not sinning. But if you don't want to be married, good, you're not a freak. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. And last time, Pastor Jeff started a new series called Powerhouse. He says it's about building your home into a powerhouse based on God's plan. The previous message was specifically directed at those of you who are married. And I, I know, I know, I can already hear you saying it, but I'm single. Well, this message is for everyone, whether you're single, married, or divorced. We're glad you're here, and there's something for you in this episode. From 1 Corinthians, Pastor Jeff shares the theology of singleness, the advantages of singleness, and some rules for dating. Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 27. Uh, I got to tell you, today's topic, singleness. And uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, this was the hardest part of my life. Uh, I'm, I'm, as a matter of fact, I thought, am I the right one to talk about this? Uh, I don't have good memories of dating. Dating was a horrible experience for me. Uh, you know, because you've got the whole rejection thing. You know, back in my day, it was always the guy who asked the girl. It's changed now. I know it can be both ways. But back then, all the pressure was on you. And uh, every guy gets rejected numerous times. And then there's the whole thing of being somebody that you're not while you're dating. Because you don't want them to know who you really are because they'll break up with you. Most guys know that. Then there's a whole thing about coming home to visit your grandparents from college and getting the same old question. Do you have a girlfriend yet? When are you getting married? Are you going to have children? You know, uh, and, and then that look that you get from your family when you don't have a girlfriend, you know, you lose her. Uh, uh, why are you even breathing? Don't you want to go run away and hide somewhere? Uh, in fact, in many cultures still today, singleness is like a disease. You know, uh, I, I, I went online to read a few things because I know I'm out of the dating scene, but it's amazing how people talk to each other on social media. One guy says, hey, dude, do you have a girlfriend? He says, yeah, dude, I do. He said, yeah, where's she from? He says, well, she's from a different nation. He says, really, which nation? My imagination. <laughs> I thought, all right, all right. Another guy writes to his friend, you know the difference between me and a calendar? A calendar has dates. And it goes on and on and on. So having done a little research, I want to rapid fire through the first part of this because I think it's important given the present cultural condition and the disagreements between culture that we look at three things. One, the theology of singleness, which I'm heavily indebted to Tim Keller's book on marriage in that section. 
And then two, the advantage of singleness that come right out of Scripture. And three, the rules for dating, okay? The theology of singleness, the advantages of singleness, and the rules for dating. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 27. It might surprise you. The apostle Paul says this, are you married? Or sorry, are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. Well, well, thanks for that. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. What I mean is the time is short. Now, the first time I read that, I'm thinking, did Paul just finish a dispute with a woman? You know, is is Paul coming out of a divorce and decided to write something in his journal? Does he have significant mommy issues? What's, What's the deal? And how do I harmonize what Paul says here, if you are unmarried, do not look for a wife, with what he says in Ephesians 5 and other places where he idealizes marriage, where he says there's a a wonder and a beauty associated attached to marriage. He has an incredibly exhausted or exalted view of marriage, a gift from God for intimacy and splendor. So think about it. Paul says, now here's the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, okay? He says, are you unmarried? Don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And the premise or the basis of what he says has to do with his statement, the time is short. So what does he mean by the time is short? Well, if you keep reading, you find out. He says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Now, theologians call this, and listen, singles, you got to stay with me because what I'm going to say is going to make any sense unless we do the foundational work. So this is what theologians call a sophisticated kingdom theology. People believe that when the Messiah showed up, that there'd be no more suffering and pain and death, a new order or new age would be ushered in and everything that you had lost would be restored. Instead, What we learn that the Messiah doesn't only come once, but he comes twice. First in weakness, second in power. First as the suffering servant, second as the thundering Messiah. First in part, second in full. And so over time, the church learned that right now, we live in the overlap of the ages. The old world is still going on, but the new world has begun. And it's penetrating the old world with goodness and redemption and reconciliation The new world has come in power, but the old world still exists, doesn't it? With pain and struggle and imminent death. So in the meantime, the theology of singleness had to do with the fact that we live between the two seasons. The kingdom of God is here, but not yet. The kingdom has come, but not in full. So what Paul does in 1 Corinthians is answer the question, how then do we live our lives in between these two seasons? And Paul basically is saying this, well, here's what you do. You live and you marry, you buy and you sell, you do have jobs, you grieve, you mourn, you rejoice, you celebrate, but you do so with eternity in mind. You do so in light of the future. So that living with eternity in mind means that you that money's not that big a deal. I mean, it's great if you have it, but don't get too attached to it because it's not real wealth. You can weep, you're going to have moments of sadness, but don't overdo it. Because one day everything's going to be made right. And you can rejoice and party. You can have a good time, but don't overdo it because this is not ultimate joy. It is penultimate joy. It points to a greater joy. And the church believed that no matter what relationship you're engaged here or what activity, 
albeit good, nothing in this world can ultimately and completely satisfy your desires in your heart. Now, how does that relate to marriage and singleness? Well, families are good, but your ultimate family is in heaven, the new community. Weddings are good, but the ultimate wedding is in the future, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And no wedding or no marriage or no family can ultimately give you what your heart desires. So the theology of singleness that we're going to find in the New Testament is that if you don't have a family, don't be too upset. If you do have a family, don't be too elated because both are temporary. And you should not put your hope or hopelessness in marriage or singleness. And what we find in the scripture is that Paul is doing something that had never been done in any previous culture. He is bringing an equality to marriage and singleness, to where he's saying one is not better than the other. In fact, each has its own glory. So if you want to be married, good, you're not sinning. But if you don't want to be married, good, you're not a freak. That is the biblical theology for singleness. In light of attorney, it doesn't really matter whether you're single or married because these are temporary and penultimate to something far greater, something more. In fact, stay with me now, still on the foundation part. Still on the first part, the theology of singleness. One of the advantages of being single, Paul goes on to say in verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Wow. Now, what what does it appear the assumption Paul is making to be? An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, but a married man does not care about the Lord's affairs. Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying that if you're married... You have other major concerns as well. If you're married, you have divided devotions. Every married man and woman in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. Marriage is good, but the reality is, man, a major part of your life is trying to find out how you can please your wife and how you can please your husband. And that's difficult. And sometimes it's incredibly frustrating. I know that when I was younger, I I had a trip or I had an opportunity I was given a scholarship to go to Israel and study in my 30s. And, this, and I started telling myself how wonderful this would be. I can walk where Jesus walked, live where he lived, see the things he saw. But the reality is, we had just had our first child. I had a wife and a little boy. For me to move to Israel would not be a wise thing. It would have been a good thing, but the better thing would be to take care of my family. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that a man who does not take care of his own household is worse than an unbeliever. And so you have divided devotions as well you should. So that the theology of singleness in the Bible is this. Singleness is an opportunity to love Christ and serve his church with undivided devotion. So if you're single, you don't have a divided devotion. Your devotion is to Christ and Christ alone. Tim Keller said, somebody asked him, hey, you know, your books are so good, Dr. Keller. Why did you wait until you were 50 to start writing? And his answer was, family. Writing takes a lot of time, and it's time away from your family. Now, stay with me. Paul goes beyond that, though. He says, but those who do marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. Now, just in this little section, I just want to warn you, I'm not going to be PC because you know by now I don't really care about PC. I just want to be accurate. Can we just be honest? Guys, let's be honest. Women are difficult to figure out. That's That's not a slam. God made them intricately for a reason that I'll tell you in a moment. Now, wives, 
Don't you think your husbands are hard work too? My goodness. It's like having a fourth child if you've got three. I mean, it's hard. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest and get it out there. Uh, one of the old stories that you hear, and I know you've heard it, but there's always a chance somebody hasn't, is that a guy was walking in Southern California down the beach and he stumbled upon a lamp and a genie pops out after he rubs the lamp three times and the genie says, I'm a genie. I'm going to grant your, uh, your greatest wish, only you don't get three. I'm a, just a one-wish genie. So you got one? And the guy said, that's fantastic. One of my favorite places in the world is Hawaii. So would you build me a road from LA to Hawaii because I'm afraid of flying so I can drive back and forth? And, of course, the genie says, that, that's almost impossible. You know the work that has to be, you know what has to happen for that to happen to the depths of the ocean? I mean, that's just too hard. Do you have a second favorite wish? And he said, yes. Can you please help me understand women? He said, you want two lanes or four lanes? I know that it's old, but the Bible is clear. Paul says, I want you to be free from this concern. A man who is married wants to please his wife. And that's a full-time job. And so are we. A man who is single wants to please the Lord. That's the assumption. And we've not even started talking about this thing called the mother-in-law that you don't have if you're single. Enough said. Now, unless you women think that I'm picking on you. Remember, I picked on the guys last week, and I told you that we are very simple, single-minded creatures. We really are. Your love language is very. Ours basically, almost 90% of the men in this room, their love language is physical touch and words of affirmation. We're not that complex. And let me just be honest. We're adults here and we need to talk about these things. You need to know that most men think that sex solves everything. That's it. That's how their mind functions. Oh, I'm trouble with my wife. Well, okay, we can, solve, we can sort this out. And it doesn't work like that, does it, women? <laughs> And so nobody tells us these things. We're wired like this in the same way that you're wired in certain ways. So the whole point of all this is that marriage is hard. We men can be narcissistic sometimes. One of my favorite episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond, Deborah's in bed and Ray comes to bed at night and Deborah says to her husband, Ray, do you know what I'm thinking? And Ray says, if I say yes, do you still have to tell me? That right there speaks volumes. We're not in touch with our emotions, and we really don't want to talk that much. So you've got two people that are challenging one another here. And Paul is trying to tell you that, you know, if you get married, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I said that in Ephesians 5, but you got to understand something. It takes enormous effort and sacrifice because in marriage, a wife seeks to please her husband, a husband seeks to please his wife, and a single person seeks to please the Lord. So the theology of singleness is that singleness is an opportunity to love Christ and serve his church with undivided devotion. And you know, there are some men and women who really understand that and choose that kind of life. Now, I want you to make sure that at least if you don't agree with some of the things I'm saying, that you will at least acknowledge that in Western cultures, Marriage is okay as long as it meets your individual needs. It's all about you. It has to fulfill you. It has to be a means to your end. So you don't dare get married. The reason people are getting married later, one of the reasons is that Christian or non-Christian is because that you want to start your career first. And you don't want marriage to distract you climbing the corporate ladder. And you want to make sure that if you do get married, it's not going to be someone who's high maintenance. Good luck with that. 
and that, and that somehow if you do marry them, they're going to be bringing assets into the marital relationship. In traditional cultures, you're nothing till you're married. You're abnormal. You, uh, you get these nonverbal looks from people. You poor thing. I'm so sorry for you. You have no life. Why are you still breathing? Don't you want to go and hide somewhere? But Christianity's approach to singleness is astonishingly different than any other worldview. And part of the understanding is that marriage, as good as it is, it can never give you ultimately what you're looking for. It can never ultimately satisfy you. And the church taught that only in the arms of Jesus can you find what you're truly looking for. Therefore, family is great, but it can never give you what you're looking for. Your ultimate family is the family of God. Sex is a fantastic gift from God, but it can never ultimately fulfill you like you think it's going to. Ultimate intimacy is with Christ. In other words, the bottom line is singleness in the Christian worldview is a viable paradigm for adult life. It is a way to live life and to live life successfully. In fact, there are, are some things, if you are single, from which you are spared. Now, let me give you one good example here. One of the areas in our lives that we are much more vulnerable to idol worship is actually in marriage. Because if you're not careful in marriage, especially with us men, our wives can become our saviors. You know, wives, that's how we marry you. We look at you as giving us everything we've all, always wanted. You are gonna, you're going to fulfill every passion and desire that we've ever had. You're going to be our Jesus. You're going to be our Savior, and no woman can live up to that. But that's how most men enter the marriage setting. So if it turns out, and often it does, that a man's loyalty, ultimate loyalty, is to the spouse, his ultimate needs are filled by his spouse, his ultimate desires are toward his spouse, it can come to a point where he stops growing closer to Jesus because he doesn't think he needs to. He's got everything he wants in his wife. Now, women are not, I'm sorry, guys, but women are not that simplistic, which is why women tend to have a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus because they know they love you, but they know you're not enough. John Newton, the great hymn writer, we're talking about amazing, great. We're talking about a great hymn writer here said that I do not get or go to Jesus to get my love and satisfaction. I don't need to. I have this adoring woman. And he says, I've learned that if your marriage is really good, it's possible to have a problem with idolatry in your life. And when that happens, we men miss out on the most joyous, fulfilling experiences of our lives, which is intimacy with God. So we stop pursuing God and settle for everything we think we're going to get with our wives, which is unfair to them because they cannot possibly deliver a savior mentality. Singleness, to a measurable degree, spares you of this temptation. Because those who, listen, those who are single and Christian tend to gravitate toward Jesus for their intimacy and fulfillment. And in some ways, experience him on a deeper level. And I'm not saying that if you're married, you can't experience Jesus on a deeper level. I'm simply saying that if you're single, there's an advantage. But Paul does say, those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. What are the troubles? Well, unrealized expectations, and two, a divided devotion that brings real tension. So the theology of singleness, singleness is an equally viable way of life. Now, second, what are the advantages of singleness? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, why would I want to be single? Well, I just told you one. 
You're able to give undivided attention to the kingdom of God. You're not pulled between two incredibly important, important realities. But you know the second thing? If you're single, your offspring has no boundaries. What? Let me read to you from Mark 10. Jesus says, truly I say to you, no one who has left home, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. What's he talking about? Well, this combats the idea that if I don't get married, I won't have a family. You'll have a much larger family and have a greater potential to go deeper with many more people. In fact, Andrea Trevina, in her book, The Heart of Singleness, writes this. I love it when I go around to married friends' homes and see not only or even their wedding photos, pictures of their children and whole family snaps, but also photos of other families and friends. This reminds me that family doesn't just mean the nuclear family, that I am not on my own, and as a Christian, I am part of a wonderful wider family. Do you see what her point is? As a single person, you've got much more time to invest in a much wider family than you could ever imagine. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, C.S. Lewis, one of the sharpest thinkers of the past generation, in The Great Divorce, a great book, it's not about divorce, it's about heaven. And in the book, he has a section where the narrator takes a guide around heaven to show them around. And there's, a, there's this enormous procession or parade. And there's a line of each boys and girls. And in the center of it all, I mean, you've got music and dancing and giant angels, but in the center of it all is a beautiful lady. And this whole parade is in her honor. And the guide explains that she is someone of significant greatness. And the angel goes on to say, on earth, she was insignificant. Her name was Sarah Smith, and she never had any biological children. But in heaven, she's one of the great ones. And a large number of young men and young women are flanking about her because they are her real sons and daughters. And the guide goes on to explain that every young boy who came across her path, even the little boy who delivered bread to her door, became her son. And every little girl that met her, every little girl, no matter who she was, she became her mother. And they would go back to their natural parents, loving them even more. And it finishes by saying, Sarah Smith didn't have any biological children on earth, but was a spiritual mother to many. Do you understand? When I lived in Africa, there was a lady by the name of Hazel Mansell from New Zealand, and she came to Africa at the call of God and started a little Sunday school called Makakoba Sunday School in the town of Bulawayo. And this Sunday school was just a Sunday school. There wasn't a church service attached to it. It was just a Sunday school. And kids from all over, orphans, kids, kids who had no families, kids who had no, no guardians, kids that were just on the street, and kids from families all would come together every Sunday, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And all she would do is be mother to them, teach them. And now, 50 years later, someone has done a recent study of how many came out of that little Sunday school program to be pastors and teachers and missionaries all over the world. There will be a large group of people meet Hazel Mansell in heaven. She was a mother to so many. And the point, folks, is simply this. If you who are single will just look over the way in your mind's eye and realize that you have so many children over there. 
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Having done a little research, I wanna rapid fire through the first part of this because I think it's important given the present cultural condition and the disagreements between culture that we look at three things. One, the theology of singleness, and then two, the advantage of singleness that come right out of scripture, and three, the rules for dating. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.